Good evening, everybody. This meeting is called to order. Welcome, Commissioners and members of the public to the special hearing of the San Francisco Immigrant Rights Commission. We will be attending to a few business items to begin, and then we will start our special hearing on local and community impacts of the travel ban. Before we get started, may I please ask the Executive Director to make some announcements. Thank you, Chair. Um, this special hearing on the President's executive actions on the travel ban is being audio and videotaped, and speakers who do not want their full images to be shown should notify the staff prior to speaking and also indicate so on their speaker cards, their green speaker cards. Uh, we do have Arabic interpretation uh, available this evening. Uh, we ask that all speakers and members of the public who would like to make comments during tonight's meeting fill out the green speakers card and return them to the staff. And also members of the public are asked to please set their phones or mobile devices to silent mode during the meeting. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Director. Would the clerk please call the roll? Sure. Commissioner Ensani will not be joining us. Commissioner Fuji? Commissioner Geim will not be joining us. Commissioner Gervitz? Present. Chair Canali? Here. Commissioner Kojaste? Here. Commissioner Kong? Here. Vice Chair Paz will not be joining us. Commissioner Radwan? Commissioner Rahimi? Present. Commissioner Ricarte? Here. Commissioner Roy will not be joining us. Commissioner Wang? Here. Commissioner Wong. Here. The Commission has a quorum. Thank you. Our first item of business is uh, the approval of prior minutes. Uh, we need uh, to review and approve the, minute, the minutes of September 11 full Commission hearing. Uh, if I could ask Commissioners to please quickly review, are there any corrections or edits to the minutes of September 11, 2017? If no one has any corrections, I move to approve the minutes. I second. Thank you, Commissioner Gervitz and Commissioner Kong. All those in favor? Aye. 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 The minutes of September 11, 2017 are uh, approved and passed as, as written. Our second item is an approval of the revised August 14th full commission min meeting minutes. Uh, there was one edit made to those minutes at our last hearing. Are there any corrections or edits to the minutes of August 14th, 2017? I'd like to make a motion to approve the minutes from August 14th, 2017. Okay. 
Uh, thank you, Commissioner Kajaste and Commissioner Radwan. Uh, all those in favour of the approval of the minutes, the revised minutes of August 2014, 2017? Aye. 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 The minutes are approved as written. Thank you all. Uh, sorry, just getting some paperwork in order up here. So, uh, our next item of business is our special hearing on the impacts of the travel ban on local communities. And before I make my open, opening remarks on, on this hearing, I would like us to take a moment to uh, a moment of silence to remember all of those who lost their lives and all of those who were injured in last night's dreadful attack in Las Vegas. All families, all friends, all loved ones and our, our nation as a whole, uh, our nation, uh, our, our, our community of immigrants, our community of those who love this country and who enjoy all that it brings. Um, we bear everybody in mind. So can I please take a moment? Thank you. Commissioners and community members, as you know, the Immigrant Rights Commission has been conducting a series of special hearings on a number of issues facing immigrants in San Francisco for many years. However, since the new presidential administration was installed in January 2017, we have been hearing from community members, both immigrant and non-immigrant, about their increasing concerns and fears as a result of presidential executive actions and inflammatory rhetoric that have reached unprecedented and dangerous levels domestically and internationally. Tonight, we are holding this special hearing on the impact of the travel ban on our local communities. As you know, early on, the new president issued Executive Order 13769, commonly known as the Muslim ban or the travel ban. This initial travel ban, which barred citizens of the six mostly Muslim countries, as well as Iraq, sparked mass chaos and protests at airports around the United States. It was an outright discriminatory action and immediately challenged in court. On September 24, 2017, the administration announced its third attempt at new travel restrictions on certain foreigners from Chad, Iran, Libya, North Korea, Somalia, Syria, Venezuela and Yemen as a replacement to a central portion of its controversial travel ban signed earlier this year. The new restrictions vary by country and include a phased-in approach beginning this month. We are not fooled. In the name of national security, the new restrictions do nothing to protect the United States from domestic or international terrorism. That's why the American Civil Liberty Union is once again challenging this action in court because the new ban is just as xenophobic as earlier versions. This reprehensible attack on a group of immigrants is an attack on all Americans, immigrant and non-immigrant alike. It violates our core values as a nation and seeks to divide America's people. As we said at the September 11th hearing, as the country takes one giant leap backwards on immigrant rights, civil liberties, equality and inclusion, racial justice, religious freedom, common decency and respect for the rule of law, the Immigrant Rights Commission calls on our senators, our mayor, 
the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, city leaders and departments, businesses, and all the people of San Francisco, California, and the United States to come together, continue to stand up for our immigrants, and demand fair and equal treatment for all. Our immigrant nation is a united, fair, and humane, inclusive America, all elements worth fighting for. Together with our immigrant brothers and sisters, the IRC will continue to fight what is right for all the people. Tonight, we will again hear from invited speakers and community members. A reminder that all speakers and members of the public who wish to make comments uh, must please fill out the green card as held up by Melissa uh, on your right. I will now begin with the first three speakers. Again, please remember to fill out a speaker's card if you wish to speak. And if you do not want your full image recorded, please let us know before you speak. There is a time limit for speakers um, because we do have quite a long list of invited speakers and there are quite a number of members of the public here. So staff has very kindly arranged a time screen. Uh, please keep an eye on it and it will, thank you. Uh, please keep an eye on it and it will tell you uh, at what point you are in your presentation. Um, is it a countdown system? It's a countdown system, so you'll be heading for zero. Um, we will, I will remind you that you will have 30 seconds to wrap up if you have not wrapped up, so please bear in mind you, you won't get a, a, much of an added on time. So to begin this evening's hearing, I would like to begin by inviting uh, Supervisor Safai to come and address the commission. Supervisor, we are delighted to have you with us this evening, and please join us. Thank you, uh, is this on? Oh, thank you, commissioners. Thank you, Executive Director Pond, all the members of the public for being here tonight. Uh, thank you for reaching out to me and asking me to come speak. Um, this is particularly uh, important to me and hits home. As a child that was born in Iran, as somebody on the Board of Supervisors, that is probably, I believe I'm the only one that was not born in this country, and having to have my first month in office hear about a travel ban that directly targets the country that I was born in, and I would not be standing here if not for so many of the great policies of this country welcoming immigrants from all over the world. Uh, my parents never would have met, and I wouldn't be standing here in this great city as a supervisor representing the voice of, of immigrants and immigrant families. I want to start by saying uh, we stand in solidarity with all immigrants in San Francisco, regardless of their immigration status, regardless of their religion, particularly in this situation with our Muslim brothers and sisters. Um, it's awful to think that an administration and a president of our country would begin by targeting people of a particular religious background, regardless of what he says and his administration says. Uh, there's many more qualified people to speak on this issue that have dedicated their entire life to fighting for these communities. So I'll be very brief, but I just wanted to come and say I appreciate the hard work that this commission is doing and the leadership and to say the Board of Supervisors and the mayor and all the elected uh, family in San Francisco stand 100% unified in opposition to any travel ban and stand 100% unified in welcoming all immigrants, regardless of immigration status and religion, into our great city. So thank you for having this hearing tonight, and thank you for having me. Supervisor, thank you very much for being with us this evening. We appreciate the support of the board. Um, and of all uh, of the elected family in, in, in City Hall 
and we look forward to working, continuing to work with you closely on immigrant issues as we move forward. Um, before I call our next speakers, I would like to say to commissioners, uh, we are going to be grouping speakers. At the end of each group, I will give you the opportunity for question, but ask that you hold comment until all speakers have spoken. Um, we just have a lot of people to get through, and I, I want to be respectful of people's time at the end of their workday. Um, so our first two speakers that I would like to invite forward are Lara Kizwani from the Arab Resource and Organizing Center and Kayla Razavi from No Ban No Wall, San Francisco. My name is Kayla Rizabi. I was born 22 years ago as a daughter of two kind, hardworking, loving Iranian Muslim American immigrants, which I have grown to learn makes my entire existence inherently political. A weight my parents carried long before I was born, and one that weighs on the shoulders of me and my Muslim and Middle Eastern brothers and sisters every day under the Trump administration. Nine months ago, on January 27, 2017, a week after assuming office, President Donald Trump upheld his promise on the campaign trail of a total and complete shutdown of Muslims entering the United States when he signed his first executive order banning entry to the United States for 90 days for over 134 million citizens of Muslim-majority countries, including Iraq, Syria, Iran, Libya, Somalia, Sudan, and Yemen, and also indefinitely halting the entry of refugees from Syria. Within hours of the news of the executive order, there was widespread response across the country, a response I honestly did not expect. Within hours, people flooded to the airports and held demonstrations. Lawyers and translators worked on the ground to help those detained. Grass, grassroots movements, protests, rallies, one of which my sister and I organized right outside the, do the doors of this beautiful building, um, where 10,000 strong attended. And with the leadership of many, the ban was temporarily halted and blocked. On March 6, 2017, Trump came back with his second issue of the Muslim ban, which included slight changes from the first, restricting travel to the United States by nationals of Iran, Libya, Syria, Yemen, Somalia, and Sudan, removing Iraq from the list of banned countries, which was set to expire on September 24th, and is also the date in which President Donald Trump rolled out his newest and most drastic Muslim ban limiting entry into the United States for nationals of now eight countries, expanding visa restrictions to citizens of North Korea, Venezuela, and Chad, in addition to the five Muslim-majority countries, Iran, Syria, Libya, Somalia, and Yemen, removing Sudan from the list. Unlike Muslim Ban 2.0, this new policy will go into effect in mid-October and is set to last indefinitely, with the restrictions that are set to vary from country to country. Muslim Ban 3.0, like its predecessors, violates the First Amendment's establishment clause by prohibiting nationals from eight countries from traveling to the United States. It discriminates against people from all eight countries on the basis of national origin, which violates the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights and the International Convention on the Elimination of All Forms of Racial Discrimination. 
The U.S. has ratified both treaties, making them the supreme law of the land. I have, I prepared for five minutes. <laughs> can you go, thank you. We can give you another one, but speak quickly. Okay. Thanks, Kayla. Thank you. While Trump's new ban attempts to specify how each of the eight countries failed to fall short in providing the U.S. with sufficient detailed information about how nationals or are about its nationals or taking adequate precautions to protect the U.S. interests, it fails to tie nationals of those eight countries to terror attacks in the United States. In February, the Department of Homeland Security concluded that the that country of citizenship is unlikely to be a reliable indicator of potential terrorist activity. And no, and since 1975, no Americans have been killed or on U.S. soil by terrorists from any of the eight countries covered by the ban. So what can we do? We can start by calling the ban for what it is. This is not a travel ban. This is a Muslim ban. We can call out harmful Islamophobic, xenophobic rhetoric. This kind of language inspires hate crimes, bullying, un undeserved and inhumane hate. Almost done. Pick up the phone. Tell your senators, congresspeople, White House, local elected officials that this ban does not reflect American values or the American people and must be fought at every level by any method and means available. Praise immigrants and refugees who have made America what it is. We are a nation of immigrants, exiles, and refugees, and we need you. You can no longer be silent. Please join your local action group and stay on top of action alerts and calls to protest in the Bay Area. If you're here, you're aware. We need you, woke people, to go back to your communities and make this an issue to everyone you know. Aim to bring three new people to the protests of vigils you attend. Host calling and letter writing parties to Congress. Be of service to your Muslim friends and strangers you meet. We need you and we can't do it without you. And thank you for the extra time. You're welcome, thank you. That was a quick, quick speed up to fit five into three, so well done. Lara, welcome. Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for having us speak and for hearing our community out. My name is Lara Kiswani. I'm with the Arab Resource and Organizing Center. You know, over the last several months, we've seen a drastic shift in the lives of immigrants in this country, um, particularly those from the banned countries. The first Muslim ban was met with broad-based resistance from across the U.S. And here in the Bay Area, we shut down SFO and the International Terminal to demand the release of our families and for them to access legal counsel, and they did. We were able to exert that much force across the United States because the world saw these executive orders for what they are, racist and xenophobic. And we understood an attack on one community as an attack on all of our communities. So we declared at SFO and everywhere, no ban, no wall, no raids. Since then, the Trump administration has attempted time and time again to repackage the Muslim ban. The latest version not only targets Muslim-majority countries, but also includes Venezuela, North Korea, and ad added Chad. Yes, this ban is absolutely racist and still targets Muslim-majority countries and is a Muslim ban. This is racist like all of Trump's bans and executive orders and policies and is politically motivated. So white supremacy is political, as is imperialism, so the countries listed, by no surprise, have also experienced various forms of military intervention, U.S. wars, and occupation and at the receiving end of that aggression. Adding North Korea and Venezuela sets the foundation for further warmongering. So while it might be difficult to anticipate a timeline for war 
wars and military aggression, we in the Bay Area must continue to keep the people of North Korea and, and Iran and Venezuela in our hearts and minds, anticipating what's to come on the ground in their homelands. We also know that on October 18th is a definite day. There will be a second phase in the rolling out of this new travel ban. This new Muslim ban will impact thousands of people right here in the Bay Area. Spouses, parents, and all those immigrants who plan on reuniting with their families from Yemen, Chad, Libya, Somalia, and Syria will not be able to do so. They will be suspended um, from entering, for all, all of those immigrants will be suspending from entering this country. People coming on visitor, student, or business visas will be banned or face extreme vetting. Since the beginning of this year, we've already seen 45% decrease in visas granted to the people from those countries, all those targeted by the various iterations of the Muslim ban. Whether or not it's this Muslim, whether or not this Muslim ban holds up in courts, its implications will be devastating. As we know from the backdoor Muslim bans we've seen across the months that since Trump has gotten elected, it leads to arbitrary holdups and vettings of all immigrants from those Muslim-majority countries. And then, of course, there's TPS, temporary protective status. Hundreds of Yemeni people in the Bay Area are TPS holders. While TPS will or will not be renewed, we do not know, but we anticipate, as with Sudan, it won't. And that will, for sure, impact several hundreds of people here in the Bay Area and face attacks by ICE and other law enforcement. So as community organizations continue to do the hard work for providing legal services and organizing our community members to challenge these racist attacks, we all need to be prepared to fight back collectively on the local level. The implementation of this ban, I will only take 30 more seconds, the implementation of this ban may not require us to shut down SFO, since the people will not be granted visas to board the airplane to the U.S. in the first place. But it will require us to disrupt the ways in which our local agencies, workers, and offices comply with these laws. And it will require us to encourage communities to protest and speak out and challenge the federal government on every level. It will require us to strengthen the existing ordinances and laws in place right here in San Francisco and its implementation. Our movement lawyers will definitely fight this ban in the courts, as we all should. Regardless of what comes out of the courts, we must always remember that law is not always just. Jim Crow was law, apartheid South Africa was law, and we defeated those systems. Similarly, we will defeat this white supremacist system and all the laws they put in place. And we here in the Bay Area will make new laws and policies. We must question also why it is that ICE still roams the streets of San Francisco and still raids homes and picks up family members all every day here in San Francisco, ripping apart people. Arabs and Muslims will be the next in line for these raids. And after us, it'll be somebody else, unless we once and for all get ICE out of San Francisco. We need to think creatively and be bold. As we do best here in the Bay Area, we need to continue to demonstrate mass resistance, take leadership for the rest of the country, and resist these racist attacks everywhere. Thank you. Thank you, Nara. Uh, before I open to commissioners for questions, I would also like to call Shapur Matloub from the American Immigration Lawyers Association. And again, reminder of the clock. Thank you. Uh, good evening, commissioners and members of the community. Uh, I'm here to, this evening to speak uh, in my own capacity as a refugee to the United States and also as American Immigration Lawyers Association, Northern California Chapters Advisory Council member on behalf of AILA. When I was 14 years old, I escaped the Islamic Republic of Iran and thanks to the generosity of the United States, a year later, I entered this country as a Jewish refugee. 
and most of my uh, family who's also from Iran are immigrants to this country. And if, and I'm gonna focus on travel ban 3.0, the, the September 24th proclamation. If this uh, travel ban 3.0 existed, neither I nor most of my family members could have immigrated to this country. Even though travel ban 3.0 uh, affects mostly uh, Muslim-majority countries, it also affects the uh, religious minorities in those countries. They're affected in the same way. For example, my brother, who still lives in Iran, he would also be banned from coming to this country to visit me or to immigrate to this country. Um, so since uh, 1999, Thanks to the great educational system in California, I became an immigration attorney. And I have had uh, many clients in the last uh, 18 years who are uh, originally from Iran and Yemen, who are now contributing members of this society. And if travel ban 3.0 existed, most of my clients from Iran and Yemen, probably all of them, could not have immigrated to this country. And now I would like to focus on a few examples of my current clients who will be affected by Travel Ban 3.0. This week, I have an uh, Iranian uh, woman who is the sister of a U.S. citizen who has an immigrant visa interview. If she does not get her visa by October 18, then there is no way of knowing whether she will be able to get it. I have a, f a family of four of Iranians who are uh, bro brother of U.S. citizen. All their interviews on October 18, very unlikely that they will get their visa on that day. And if they don't, hard to know whether they will be able to get their visas. And then I also have uh, spouses, of Yemeni spouses of U.S. citizens who have, because of horrible conditions in Yemen, have been waiting in third countries such as Malaysia and Djibouti waiting to come here. And if they don't get their visas by October 18, there is no way of knowing when they will get their visas and how much longer they will have to wait in very difficult conditions in third countries. So thank you for giving me the time and considering this important issue. Thank you for your testimony. Commissioners, are there any questions for Lara or Kayla or Shapur? Hearing none, I'm going to move on and call our next uh, group of speakers. Jahan Hakim from Asian Law Caucus, Alicia Vafair, Asian Law Caucus, Christina Sinha, Asian Law Caucus, Zahra Bilou, Council on American Islamic Relations, San Francisco Bay Area, and Joyce Shi, Asian Law Caucus. Testing. Thank you, commissioners, for holding this hearing. My name is Shihan Hakim. I am the community advocate with the Asian Law Caucus. I'm also a member of the Yemeni American community that's super active in San Francisco and all across the Bay Area. Uh, the various Muslim bands have left me, my family, and my community afraid and unsure of what our future will look like. Many don't know whether they will be allowed to stay in the U.S. or if they will be able to visit their families abroad or if they will be able to re-enter. 
I have received countless calls and have, many, and have seen many cases where students who received scholarships to study in the U.S. have been told that they are not, no longer allowed to enter. Uh, they've been turned away by colleges. Yemeni families are separate and stuck in neighboring countries, forced to live under harsh conditions despite having valid visas to enter. Just this weekend, the Asian Law Caucus received over 20 calls from U.S. citizens and green card holders who have families that will be banned by the latest version of the Muslim ban. The overwhelming majority of people impacted by this ban continue to be Muslim, and the inherent intent of this ban is to discriminate against my community. Americans impacted by the Muslim ban feel as if they don't have a right to stay in the U.S. and feel unwelcomed in their own country. Our country was founded on the principle of religious liberties, and yet for Muslims and those perceived to be Muslims, this ban is another attempt to trample, to trample that freedom and in, invites uh, dangerous profiling and discrimination that hurts all of our communities. We urge the commission to take all opportunities to stand up to the anti-Muslim policies and to continue to work with the Muslim community, to work with the Muslim community to craft policies that will protect, protect my community, protect other communities from federal abuses. Thank you again for your support and for your leadership. Thank you for your testimony. Um, Good evening. Thank you, commissioners, for holding this hearing. My name is Alika Vafai. I am a national security and civil rights attorney at the Asian Law Caucus and a member of the Iranian-American community here. Um, the last 10 months have been inc incredibly volatile, challenging, and anxiety-provoking for our clients, our community, my family, and you know, our community as, as a whole. The Muslim and refugee bans are clearly discriminatory. They're unconstitutional. They do very little to keep us safe. Just like the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II, the Chinese Exclusion Act, and special registration after 9-11, the NCRS program. We've seen over the last 10 months that courts have consistently held that the administration's campaign promise to ban Muslims and refugees and the delivery of those campaign promises through the executive order and proclamation violate establishment cause and the inherent notion that an entire country of origin or faith could be considered suspect or a national security concern is flawed. I similarly want to highlight a few of the core cases that we've seen, um, again, just over the last week, where we're seeing our clients potentially being indefinitely banned, and we're seeing that it's quite broad because it impacts both immigrants and non-immigrants. We have a client who is a green card holder from Yemen. She is waiting for visa approval for her young daughter and for her spouse, who have been stranded in Djibouti for some time now and waiting to come in. We have a U.S. citizen Iranian whose spouse is stuck abroad as well, and if they aren't allowed to have their visas approved, they will, their families will be separated and not allowed um, to be unified. We have a U.S. citizen with terminal cancer whose sibling wants to come and visit them to provide emotional and physical support and won't be able to do so even for a tourist visa. 
With all of these impacts, we really urge the commission to continue to have these hearings to document what's going on. New York had a great um, uh, graphic that came out that documented the demographics of individuals impacted by the ban to really show what the impact is on New Yorkers. To continue to explore local ordinances that could be passed to continue to protect our communities. Um, to submit legal documents such as amicus briefs in the continued litigation that we know will happen over this executive order. And to really ensure that all of our efforts in San Francisco center all of the impacted communities, whether that be Iranians, Yemenis, individuals from Somalia, from Libya, et cetera, and other communities who really feel the Islamophobia as well. So thank you so much for your leadership and happy to answer any questions. Thank you, Alika. Uh, just before uh, you begin your testimony, just a reminder to anybody who has joined us in the last number of minutes, if you do want to speak this evening, please fill out one of the speaker cards that Melissa is holding up on the right-hand side, and we will, uh, we will call you later on once we get through the invited testimony. Thank you, Christina. Of course. Um, good evening, commissioners, and first of all, thank you for your leadership in holding this hearing. My name is Christina Sinha, and I'm a national security and civil rights attorney at the Asian Law Caucus here in San Francisco. The Trump administration has shown time and time again that enacting a Muslim ban by any possible means is their flagship policy. And while we continue to fight Trump's executive orders and proclamations in the courts, he is simultaneously attempting to implement a Muslim ban via backdoor methods, particularly via extreme visa vetting. So back in May, the State Department received permission to implement a temporary measure that allowed it to collect a really disturbing amount of information from certain individuals who are applying for U.S. visas, something that's called extreme vetting. And these policies discriminate largely against individuals from the same countries impacted by the Muslim ban and prevents them from coming to the U.S. to work, study, or to be with family. And we have seen this already result in lower visa numbers from individuals from the impacted countries, aside from the impact of these specific executive orders and proclamations. So today, the comment period to oppose this new extreme visa vetting, uh, this extreme visa vetting policy closes. And if approved, this policy will allow the Trump administration to continue to gather huge amounts of personal data about visa applicants, including social media history for the past five years, handles uh, and uh, social media platforms, travel history for the past 15 years, including the source of that travel, uh, the funding for that travel, domestic and international. And it'll be used to simply be another method to justify rejecting Muslim applicants. And changing, the, as uh, colleagues have said before me, changing this policy's packaging does not change what's inside. And what's inside is a backdoor attempt to institute yet another unconstitutional Muslim ban. So we urge the commission and the community to remain vigilant about not only the executive orders and proclamations, but also these more nefarious, insidious backdoor methods that, are, that also constitute a Muslim ban. And also to work with, to continue to work with impacted communities to construct local protections against such federal abuses. And of course, I would also like to echo the recommendations of my uh, the commentators who came before me. So once again, thank you so much for your leadership and for working with the, with the most impacted communities, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you, Christina. Good evening, Commissioners. My name is Zahra Bilou. I'm a civil rights attorney and the executive director of the Bay Area Office of Care, the Council on American Islamic Relations. 
As a nation's largest American Muslim civil rights organization, we have worked with dozens of communities across the country in the lead-up to and aftermath of the Muslim bans one, two, and three. Our national office reports that in the first quarter of 2017, we saw an over 1,000 percent increase in the number of people complaining of harassment, delays, and questioning at this nation's airports. In February of this month, our office advised over 100 individuals impacted by the Muslim ban in the San Francisco Bay Area, of which a significant percentage were not directly named in the Muslim ban. And so you've heard about the direct impact, the Iranians, the Somalis, the Sudanese, the Libyans, the Syrians, and the Yemenis. And we see some of those faces in this room, but I also wanted to make clear that the impact of the ban is beyond just those six countries and now the seven or eight that are targeted in 3.0. It includes green card holders and U.S. citizens. Just two weeks ago, we heard from a U.S. citizen who was asked at SFO do you have a DNA test proving your relative nature to the family member that got you the U.S. citizenship? Just last Friday, we heard from San Jose about an individual, a green card holder, who was detained for over nine hours and pressured to resign his legal permanent resident status. We were fortunate that in both of those cases, those people knew their rights and could get access to legal help. But what I worry about with ban one, ban two, ban three, and the backdoor Muslim ban is very much the instability, the fear that it has created in our communities. And beyond that, the discretionary power that many agents are using at borders, maybe not to block people, but to terrorize them before they can come into the United States. I'd like to echo the recommendations made by our partners at the Asian Law Caucus, but add that parallel to all of this is the anti-Muslim sentiment that's increased across the country. Our organization's data shows that at least two mosques per week have been attacked on average this year. Our president is more likely to condone white supremacy than to actually condemn it. And that emboldens people who see policies and who see rhetoric and then actually target our community. So the recommendation I would add to what's been made is to use, and I hate to say the words bully pulpit, but really the bully pulpit of the Immigrants' Rights Commission to say this rhetoric, this behavior, and these policies are not welcome. That in addition to local policies to protect our communities, your language, your statements, your solidarity, and even your hosting of things like tonight's hearing make a huge impact in making our communities feel safe and sending a message that hate is not welcome in San Francisco. Francisco. Thank you. Thank you, Zahra. And Joyce. Hello, Commissioners. Um, thank you so much for holding this hearing tonight. My name is Joyce. I'm a program coordinator with Asian Amer Americans Advancing Justice Asian Law Caucus. Um, just want to express, um, you know, uh, my solidarity and the importance of solidarity with um, our Muslim brothers and sisters um, in opposing all forms of the Muslim ban, whether it's the most obvious and, um, you know, blatant form or whether it's the backdoor Muslim ban or any kind of form of this discriminate, uh, discriminatory tactics by the federal government, um, you know, we stand in solidarity. Um, you know, um, I think there are... Um, many parallels to um, issues that my community has faced as a Chinese-American. Um, we um, are remembering that this year is the 135th anniversary of the Chinese Exclusion Act. It's also the 75th anniversary of Executive, Niner, uh, Executive Order 9066, uh, which led to the mass incarceration of Japanese-Americans during World War II. Um, 
And so we've seen these periods in history, these dark, dark periods of um, exclusion of national security-related profiling, surveillance, targeting that's really ter terrified and terrorized communities um, and, you know, led to this kind of trauma that has lasted across generations. Um, we are still kind of feeling the effects of this today. Um, and, you know, also, um, you know, as Chinese Americans, we have faced um, maybe lesser known periods of this um, during the Cold War when uh, many Chinese Americans in SF Chinatown and other Chinatowns around the country were targeted um, for national security related reasons, um, were deported, detained, um, and things of that nature. Um, just this idea that any community can be um, seen, you know, in whole as um, somehow not. Um, worthy of belonging or something like that is just a notion that we need to dispel of um, for good. And so, um, you know, we just, um, I, I just want to express solidarity. Um, and, you know, having been at the airports and seen all these um, people from various walks of life coming together, um, I think that we need to kind of keep doing that and not forget what that, that moment felt like. Um, and also just give a shout out to the attorneys here who spent hours and hours and hours at the airport with families. Um, you know, just seeing the devastation of families being torn apart, um, not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing to see their loved ones again. Um, and also hearing about these types of stories like across generations, um, for instance, in my community, um, you know, just want to express the importance of doing whatever we can, uh, whether it's policies, whether it's expressing public sentiments or whatever it is to oppose um, any kind of ban like this. So uh, thank you again for having us. Joyce, thank you. <coughs> um, at this point, I would like to ask commissioners if they have any questions for the prior five speakers. Yes, Chair, I do have a question. Commissioner. Thank you. Um, this one's for Ms. Vefai. Um you mentioned uh, support for local ordinances um, from the commission. I'm curious if you had any ideas or suggestions for ordinances that the commission can uh, suggest to the Board of Supervisors um, that could help um, us protect our community. Sure, thank you. So. Um I think we saw earlier this year the San Francisco County took up the anti-registry, the anti-Muslim registry ordinance. And so that was really fashioned as a forward-thinking ordinance that took lessons from the National Security Entry Exit Registration System, NSEERS, as well as the incarceration of Japanese Americans during World War II and fashioned a local ordinance that essentially separated out local involvement or local support of any type of federal program that would require registry based on religion, national origin, et cetera. I think similarly, if this commission could work with communities and look at how this next proclamation, executive order, or what the future iterations of it are going to look like, and how that intersects with our local policies, whether that be data, enforcement, compliance, et cetera, and see whether there is a way to, again, separate out the local from the federal, that would be um, one place to start for those local policies. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Kuchaste. I had a question for Zahra from the Center of American Islamic Relations. Uh, thank you for your testimony and all the work that you've been doing. I really wanted to highlight the fact that this impact does go beyond the ban, and it's impacting green card holders and U.S. citizens. So what I wanted to know are, are there any planned 
and coordinated legal efforts for the airports starting on October 18th or afterwards where there would be assistance for these green card holders and U.S. citizens who could be pestered and unduly burdened by Customs and Border Patrol? Sure. So uh, thank you for that question. I would note that the targeting of green card holders and U.S. citizens from the Muslim community and other communities actually predates the ban. And what I worry about and what we worry about is that what the bans have done is embolden agents who at least at one point thought that there was some accountability for their actions. Now, anyone who wants to be abusive or harassing of travelers can do so more casually, knowing that at the top there is a green light for this. In our experience, the best solution for legal protections for people who might be impacted is actually proactive education. So a green card holder who has stayed away for too long, a U.S. citizen who was born in another country and is arriving for the first time, or someone who, for example, has repeated travel harassment is safest if they get protection in advance, if a lawyer knows when they're landing, if they are armed with the exact words they should say when they're being harassed. And so as I answer your question, no, there isn't a specific plan for October 18th because the problem is ongoing, but something additional that the commission could take on is assistance with the dissemination of information to targeted communities, keeping in mind again that this who is targeted is expanding with this recent ban um, and goes beyond the Muslim community. But simple dissemination of talk to a lawyer before you travel. These are your rights at the border. And even though San Francisco is a sanctuary city, SFO is not safe in the same way, and we want to make sure that the community knows that. And so I think information dissemination from the commission would be one other way to help with this. Thank you. Thank you. Any other questions? Seeing none, uh, I'm going to move forward and call our next bunch of speakers. Uh, Nazi Fahimi, Paris Equality Centre. Donna Farvard of NIAC. Hani Ganji, Iranian American Bar Association. And Karen Al-Shuler, Faith in Action, Congregation Sherish Israel. Good evening. Thank you so much for having us all. I really appreciate this. So my name is... Hopefully you can hear me. My name is Nazi Fahimi with Parsi Quality Center. Um, by way of background, I myself am an immigrant. I'm Iranian-American. Um, Parse, just very briefly, if you do not know, is a social and legal services organization that in particular serves the Iranian-American community and the newer immigrants in that community as well as other immigrant communities. Uh, we are a non-political agency and a 501c3 registered nonprofit. I just want to briefly touch upon what we've seen with the executive orders in terms of 1-2 and now, of course, the proclamation that we're calling 3.0. Um, some of it will probably echo what others have already said, so I won't get into too many details with the stories of the clients we see and the folks that are contacting us, but just very brief points. We just generally, somebody else highlighted this as well. There's this immense sense of fear. And what's remarkable to me is that we see it in particular, even still with U.S. citizens and legal permanent residents. That's something that I just 
didn't think personally I would ever see. People are afraid to take trips. They're afraid to um, do anything, basically. Not just the fact that they can't bring people over under, for example, 3.0, but they feel like they're second-class citizens and are fearing for their own safety. And these are educated folks, um, not people who are you know, unaware of just general rights. With 3.0 specifically, we've already seen many cases stand out. I'm sure you've heard about fiancé type cases, fiancé visa cases. We have a couple of those where folks either were about to apply or they're in process and right now they're separated um, you know, from their partner. Uh, we have babies that are being born, weddings, other things, some things that are more severe, some things, again, like that are, you know, more um, uh, good things, like the birth, where families are separated and they can't come to see their loved ones or be there for them in such moments. 3.0 does provide for waivers. Uh, but the problem with that is that's not enough in itself. It's bad enough we have this. But waiver is just a waiver. It is completely discretionary. There's no guarantee. There's no specific carve-out within that waiver right now. There's some guidance. We still have yet to see what exactly qualifies. And even if we get more guidance, again, it's discretionary. So that's just not going to be enough. Families are completely torn apart, as I just said. And the psychological impact this is having is tremendous, again, even to folks that have been here their whole lives. The unknown changing day-to-day -day of this has impacted our ability to serve the community. I'll be very quick. And for these individuals to live their lives, the community members to go on knowing with certainty what their future holds. In terms of our ability to serve, for example, we have a lawsuit right now. One of our partner organizations who I believe will be speaking, the Iranian American Bar Association, is in um, a lawsuit, a plaintiff with us in a lawsuit. That in itself has taken away from our resources and our ability to provide service to our clients. And again, we don't even have answers for these clients and cannot even tell them what the future holds as this is changing day to day. What stands out for me as, again, just something that I cannot believe is in law school, when we studied the Korematsu case, somebody else just highlighted this, the Japanese internment camp cases, uh, I never thought that I would be looking at how I could make an equal protection argument now based on presidential proclamations or executive orders similar to the executive order that occurred with Korematsu. That is something that I still am just in utter disbelief. So I ask you to continue the fight, raise awareness, and very much appreciate that you've allowed us to come here and speak. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hello. Um, thank you, commissioners, for holding this hearing today. Uh, my name is Donna Farvard. I'm the national organizing manager for NIAC, the National Iranian American Council. Um, so as I'm sure you know, the Iranian American community is very heavily impacted by the new iteration of the Muslim ban. Uh, we did the math and found out that 61% of non-immigrant travelers impacted by the third iteration of the ban are Iranian. Um, and the day this new ban was announced, we were flooded with calls and emails from our community members who are now distressed um, and are highly concerned about the 
their own future and the future of their families abroad. Um, so I just wanted to share one of the stories that we collected um, during this time. Um, and this is from one of our members out here in California. Uh, quote, I came to the U.S. about eight years ago as a student and currently working in a major tech company. From the moment I entered the U.S., I was warned that as an Iranian student, I cannot go home back to my country to visit my family without risk of another long visa background check and possibly losing a semester or two, if not being barred from reentering altogether. I lived with this fear and didn't dare go back uh, to visit my family until I graduated. After I got a job offer from a major tech company and got my work visa, I thought it was finally time to go back to my country and visit my family. But President Trump's executive order shattered all my plans. Now, if I travel outside the U.S., uh, I'm not sure that I can come back. Not only can I not go outside the U.S., but my parents cannot get a visa to come back here and visit me. I honestly feel that I'm now a prison in prison within the borders of the United States. I'm not even sure that I can extend my work visa after it expires or if my company can even get me a green card. I fear I will leave the job that I'm passionate about and the country that I grew to love as my home, end quote. So there are about 3,100 Iranian Americans in San Francisco. We're all scholars, small business owners, doctors, engineers, and so much more. Uh, but one thing that we are not is a threat to national security. No Iranians or any other nationals from the countries on Trump's Muslim ban um, were responsible for any terror-related threat on U.S. soil. Trump's Muslim ban is not designed to make America safer, but rather to make Trump appear tougher and, and also to allow him to fulfill a xenophobic campaign promise, uh, all, the, all at the expense of immigrants from these impacted communities targeted by the ban. And many civil rights organizations like NIAC are filing lawsuits uh, because Congress is currently failing to do its job. So I want to thank you for doing your job and holding a hearing, something that Congress has failed to do. And um, thank you for taking the time and encourage you to continue taking bold actions to fight up against this ban as well. Thank you. Thank you, Donna. Good evening. I'm Karen Alshuler. I'm a 25-year resident of San Francisco, proud resident of San Francisco, and I'm never more proud than when I see that we can act on our values and speak truth to power, and that's what we're congratulating you on doing and hoping you will continue to do. Um, I'm here as a part of, um, of representing Sheriff Israel uh, um, for myself as an active lay leader in the uh, congregation and the social action committee concerned about these issues you've been hearing articulately uh, this evening. Uh, also, I'm here as part of Faith in Action, which is an extraordinary organization bringing congregations of religious and educational and other uh, associations together to take action in the Bay Area. And we've been uh, really excited about the ways in which we can touch people and help. So we stand here in, in, uh, in solidarity with what you're hearing today. Um, this is an organization, Faith in Action, which strives to overcome barriers to equity and bottom line, focusing on respect, justice, dignity, and opportunity to thrive for all of our citizens, uh, which we're losing uh, sight of every day, and that is what we're here to 
uh, try to return whatever we can do as we stand in solidarity with populations that are threatened in the Bay Area uh, in many different ways. I've worked for almost 50 years as a city planner working on com as a community builder, a designer, a convener of people. And I've never f uh, found more, a more rich solution, a more interesting, inventive, resilient solution to city needs than when we bring a diversity of people, ever-evolving diversity of people, particularly here in San Francisco and across the country, uh, of people um, um, who, who, who create those, those successful interventions. And I, I hope I'll be able to do something to support. But we look forward to thank you for what you've done, but we really look forward to what you'll do next. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the commission. Uh, my name is Hani Ganji, and uh, I'm an American. I'm also Iranian, and I am also Muslim. And as you'd expect, my family and I have been affected by Mr. Trump's travel ban. Uh, but before I talk to you about how I I've been affected by it, I'd like, I'd like to tell you why I'm here. Um, I'd like to think that I'm the closest thing to a San Francisco native. Uh, when my parents emigrated here uh, from Iran back in the 80s, uh, they moved us into Park Merced. I went to Jose Ortega Elementary School, Lakeshore Elementary, Lawton Middle School, and Lake Lumberton High School. Um, except for a brief stint in L.A., uh, go Bruins, I came back up here for uh, law school here at UC Hastings. Um, I also spent my summers here, by the way. Um, in undergrad, I taught uh, underserved and underprivileged kids, kids uh, summer school at Summer Bridge in Pack Heights at University High School. Um, I interned for the Department of Housing and Urban Development here uh, on, at the Federal Building Golden Gate. Um, I also worked at Deloitte, and upon graduating, I worked for them, and I was a consultant for the Charles Schwab, another San Francisco-based company. Uh, in other words, I'm not a fly-by-night uh, operation that came to San Francisco to get rich. Um, I have been and will continue to be a part of this community and have a duty to give a lot back to it. Uh, and make no mistake, I am here because of my San Francisco community. I have no illusions that it's because of San Francisco's long uh, history of inclusion and diversity that a guy named Hani Ganji could get an interview, much less a job. I have no illusions about uh, the fact that a guy named Ahmad Ganji, my father, got a teaching position at San Francisco State and has been teaching uh, our youth for, the, for over 30 years. And I have no illusions that my mom, Akhtar Halalian Ganji, uh, got a got into dietetics at the California Pacific Medical Center and uh, helped save countless lives. Um, and I also have no illusion about what makes America great. It is because we are a nation of immigrants who are unified by our love and respect for one another regardless of race and religion. And this is why it's so critical for us to stop, to stop Mr. Trump's uh, travel bans. Mr. Mr. Trump seeks to break the very fabric of what brings us together. His travel bans seek to divide us, and we must do everything we can to stop him. Um, I have 40 seconds remaining. I'd like to briefly share a story, a personal story with you on how I've been affected. Um, not too long ago, my mom uh, 
became very ill and she needed a third she needs a third open open heart surgery for obvious reasons she can't travel back to Iran and we have to get our family from Iran to come back and see her and provide comfort and unfortunately it may be the last time that they're able to see her I hope not um, but because of Mr. Trump's travel ban unless my family gets their visas by October 18th they're, they're, they're going to be forbidden from coming and as we all know um, from the uh, administrative process it takes about six months for uh, people of Iranian descent to uh, get their visas approved and come to the United States. So, I mean, my three minutes is up. I, you know, the reason I came, the reason we came to America, actually, it's ironic. We came to America because of the Iran-Iraq war. And the reason why the Iran-Iraq war, at least one of the reasons it happened, is, be, is with the tacit approval of the American government. Um, so I'm here partly because of American policy. I think we should make it American policy never to turn our backs on people who need it most, people just like us that want to come to America to seek a better life for their families. Thank you very much. Thank you, honey. Um, commissioners, uh, are there any questions for our last four speakers? Uh, chair? Uh, Commissioner Wang? I just wanted to particularly thank that last speaker for his comments. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Rodwin. I had a, a question for <clears throat> Ms. Uh, Nasi Fahimi. Yes. Hey. Yes. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so I, I was just wondering if you had any more information on the the uh, the waivers and the you were saying that they were discretionary waivers, um, and who right now holds the the discretion for those waivers? So, I mean, I believe it would be at the com our immigration attorney would be better at answering this. I handle more than know your rights, just as an aside. But I believe it would be at the you know consulate level in terms of if somebody can come over. I don't know if it would be. After the interview stage, we were just talking about this, or if you write in with your application, or if it's looked at more at the interview stage, if you're given an interview, how would they know to give you an interview? We need guidance. Would they know who to give an interview to because something's been written already? Is there something to bring it to their attention, or is it only brought about there? It's still my understanding being flushed out. But the problem, like I mentioned, is that they give some guidance in the actual proclamation in terms of what qualifies for a waiver by way of giving some examples, it seemed like, and showing undue hardship and other factors, right? But even if somebody has a case that we think logically would show undue hardship or whatnot, at the end of the day, it's not an exception per se listed in the proclamation, meaning, you know, by category, this is okay, right? Like green card holder, LPR is listed as you do not fall under this proclamation. That's not going to happen. A waiver is just discretionary. Anybody can say no to you, and there's probably not much you can do about it. Really scary. A little bit scary. Thank you. Commissioner Kujaste. I'm sorry that I missed your first name, but Ms. Favard from NIAC, I had a, a quick question. It was particularly disheartening to hear that Congress has failed to hold a hearing on this matter. And what I wanted to know was, have there been any lobbying efforts to have Congress hold a hearing? And if not, what could we do to ensure that this happens? Yeah. Um, so we're one of the groups that have lobbied Congress to hold a hearing. Um, for the most part, uh, the folks in the Republican Party who have a lot of power in um, 
they've been blocking hearings in different committees. Uh, so instead of trying to get hearings on the Muslim ban, we've been working to get uh, various uh, members of Congress to introduce amendments um, to bring up the issue and to have conversations around the Muslim ban instead, regardless of whether or not we think the amendments would even pass through the committees. Um, so one example, um, Barbara Lee, during the second iteration of the Muslim ban, introduced um, an amendment, I believe, in the Appropriations Committee that was a parallel to the the Solve Act um, that was in uh, the House at the time, which would rescind the Muslim ban and block funding for it. So she introduced an amendment that was basically the same thing as the bill, but um, introduced it to have a conversation and then retracted it. So that's one way that we've been working to get around the fact that folks are blocking hearings and to still have conversations. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Donna. Uh, again, a reminder that anybody who has uh, just arrived, if you would like to make public comment, please get a green speaker card from Melissa here on your right-hand side. Uh, a reminder to speakers that when you do come forth to speak, there is a timer here uh, on the desk in front of me that will show your, your allotted time and as it counts down to zero. Um, and also, we do have um, Arabic interpretation in case those services are needed by any members of the community. I would also like to um, highlight that we are hoping to, we have invited Karen Karamatsu of the Fred T. Karamatsu Institute to speak tonight, uh, representing the families of wrongly interned Japanese Americans who recently filed an amicus brief protesting the travel ban um, executive order 9066. It is the 75th anniversary and the parallels are all too close. Our next speakers uh, that I would like to call forward, I'm going to call forward together, Asha Abdi from Habitat with Humanity, Logan Avasco, Faith in Action and Organizing for Action SF. Nick Avasco, also Faith in Action. And Michael Ho. So if we could begin with Asha, please. Hi, Commissioners. Um, thank you for holding this hearing today. Um, okay, I'll get it moving a little closer. Thank you. Um, Thank you for holding this hearing today, Commissioners. Thank you so much. Um, my name is Asha Abdi. I'm a Somali-American. I've been living in the Bay Area for um, around 23 years now. And with this Muslim ban and all of the different policy changes that are happening in D.C. right now, it has shook my family, myself, of course, and our community to the core. Um, I came into this country when I was eight years old. Um, I spent four years in a refugee camp in, in Kenya. And um, even though myself and my family and, and, and most of our community here in the, the Bay Area has their documents, um, it, it's brought a sense of um, a lack of security and safety for our community because we've been through so much already back home and we know that a stable nation can one day turn it itself against its own citizens. And so um, with all the different versions of this ban, um, I just want to say that um, we're truly grateful for a lot of the legislators and the activists that have come together to show the true spirit of America. And I just want to um, reiterate um, all of the work that everyone's been doing and, 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 and to show that the Somali community and the many 
folks from the different band countries are extremely grateful. And um, I just hope that um, the Bay Area, the San Francisco Bay Area continues to um, and be a leader in, in civil rights and, and to be, continue to be uh, progressive. And, and that um, my community, the Somali community and myself are, are here to help um, make these changes because uh, to be a true American, we have to be able to be critical and to be active in making sure that the America that we love and, 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 and hold dear continues to be um, the leader of the, of the free world. And um, thank you very much. That's it. Thank you, Asha. Hi, my name is Logan Avasco. I'm a resident of District 6, and I'm here on behalf of Faith, Faith in Action and OFA San Francisco. I'm here to ask that our city government continue condemning both in action and words the fe federal travel Muslim ban that, ban that is unjustly limited limits immigration based on race, religion, and region, and that San Francisco pull no punches in the fight for human rights. As one of the most progressive cities in our nation, it's imperative that we continue to act as a positive example of acceptance, inclusion, and action. I directly request that the commission strongly con condemn federal organizations that seek to harm immigrants against, against the wishes of their communities. Specifically, this ban and the actions of ICE in what they call their safe city operations. This type of action destroys our families and our communities. We cannot stand to allow this ban because it obviously is discriminatory based on the Muslim religion. We cannot stand to al allow ICE raids that are also obviously dis discriminatory based on race. Please consider working with other U.S. cities and other commissions like your own to educate the public on the dangers of Islamophobia and discrimination based on race, religion, gender, and sexual orientation. Please continue to keep this ban and the actions of the federal government on the mind of the commission, and I ask that you act nobly for your fellow community members. Thank you. Thank you, Logan. Hello, my name is Nick Avasco, here today on behalf of Faith in Action, organizing for Action San Francisco, personally as a student at the University of San Francisco, um, a proud District 6 resident, uh, Filipino-American, son of immigrants living in the historic Filipino district. I'm here today to ask that this committee and the San Francisco City government publicly oppose the latest Muslim ban and pursue legal action on the basis of religious discrimination against the administration on behalf of all San Franciscans. Further, in light of so-called Operation Safe City, I urge the city to publicly condemn the intrusion and violation of our city by federal immigration officers and propose legislation that suspends ICE activity in our city and the greater Bay Area. Finally, I urge that the city increase and make permanent funding for immigrant legal defenses that's accessible to all San Francisco citizens and residents. Thank you. Thank you, Nick. Good evening, Commission. My name is Mike Ho. Um, I'm an officer with the City Democratic Club, but tonight I speak only on my own behalf. I am a third-generation Chinese-American, born in Englewood, raised on Stevie Wonder and NWA. I'm not the one you want speaking on the immigrant experience. The Muslim ban is not aimed at me, but it hits me. My friends Steph and Naveen are very important to me, and they're the ones who are being hit by this ban. 
Naveen is Pakistani. She's been in L.A. getting her Ph.D. from UCLA, which recently was conferred. Someone should be cheering back there. I've only just had the privilege of meeting her a couple of times. To be honest, she and I wouldn't hang out a lot, and she'd tell you the same thing. It's not that she's Muslim. It's not even politics. I'm just not that into Sebastian Stan or Dwayne The Rock. Johnson. They're both fine hunks of people. They're just not my type. Naveen is a person of deep feeling, profound intellect, and crazy celebrity crushes. In that, we are the same. I'm not here to blame. I'm not that innocent. Donald Trump does not want me to meet great people like Naveen, from whom I'm divided not by God, but by gossip. Without immigrants, what we know of the world's 1.7 billion Muslims would be what Trump tells us, just as what North Koreans know of us is what Kim Jong-un tells them. Naveen has earned her PhD now, but she's given up on us. She's given up on America. While the travel bans don't apply to her, she's a smart woman. She knows an unwelcome sign when she sees it. As America proceeds down this path, we ensure that the only Muslims who come here will be the ones from that fringe that does want to hurt us, creating a cycle of hate that cannot be unintended. We have fringes too, not just in Charlottesville, but in every corner of America. They're in our halls of power, they're behind our bully pulpits. If we stop rising to denounce them, we let them speak for us. Removal will take time, but resistance is now. I thank you, Commission. Thank you, Michael. Commissioners, do we have any questions for Asha, Logan, Nick, or Michael? Hearing none, I'm going to move to our next four speakers. Um, I believe we have just received notification from uh, the Sheriff's Department that we would like public comment to stand on this side of the room, not the side by the door, um, for fire reasons, I think. So our next, uh, our next speakers are Bushra Alabsi from the Cross-Cultural Family Centre, Shaquille Ali, Governing Board Member, Jefferson Elementary School District, Baham Vizil and Yasmin Bigdeli from IBA Iranian Law Student Association. Apologies if I got one or two of those names slightly wrong, but I hope you know who I mean. And we invite you to come forward. Bushra. Hi. Hi, thank you so much for being here. And I'm just a little nervous, but whatever the people say here, say, you know, speak my heart and my mind. My name is Bushra Lapsi. I, my name is Bushra Lapsi. I live and work in downtown at Tenderloin. I'm here to. I'm a Yemeni American. I'm here to uh, speak for my people, my community. My community here, they run away from fear, from war, but they live now in war and in fear. So we went, we would like. I, I, I don't know how to put my word here, but I wanted to say thank you so much, and I want you guys please to help my community and. My parents. I'm a teacher. I work with the t uh, with the preschoolers, and I see the parents, each kids, and families. And I work with some of the family. We deal with them. They're undocumented, but basically every day we comfort them and we say, "You guys, you live in San Francisco. You guys being, um, you're not gonna be targeting. You're not, but still the fair there and the. And I just wanted to say thank you so much. And you guys, please help us. Thank you. Thank you, Pusha. 
Shaquille. Thanks, Madam Chair and Honorable Commissioners. And a special thanks to Commissioner Admiral Rawan, who invited me here to speak tonight. <clears throat> Excuse me. Today I stand here in solidarity with immigrants, Muslims, and in particular, Muslim immigrants. As a San Francisco native living in this international cosmopolitan city, I've been exposed to people of various ethnicities, nationalities, and religions for my whole life. As a matter of fact, most of my friends and virtually all of my neighbors are immigrants. My grandparents fled the racist South many years ago and came to San Francisco and to Oakland to create a future for their families. I now live in Daly City and I'm a board member of the Jefferson Elementary School District, which comprises Daly City, Coma, Broadmoor, and a portion of Pacifica. And I'm, I'm sad to say that in our schools, the students were afraid and many of them were actually crying after the US presidential election because they had heard the horrible rhetoric from people like Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani. Many of them were asking, will my parents get deported Will I have to leave this country? Our school district board passed a resolution stating that we, along with all the other San Mateo County school districts, support a diverse student body and community. We do not support any type of discrimination based on ethnicity or religion. After the ending of the Dreamers Act, we actually passed another resolution reiterating our stance. I have faith that this commission will do the right thing and advise the supervisors to not cave in to the unconstitutional discriminatory Muslim ban. We should develop action plans to provide resources to help community residents who are immigrants by including, but not limited to, legal counsel for residents defense funds for deportation cases, as well as financial and legal support for naturalization. We need to educate all residents and city and county employees on how to best protect undocumented people from deportation with trainings on immigra immigration rights, increasing community organizing efforts, and updates from immigration rights advocacy groups. If there's anything I can do to be of assistance, you are more than welcome to contact me. I left my business card uh, with the young lady over there and um, perfect timing. <laughs> Thank you for your testimony. Our next speaker, I'm having a hard time with the handwriting, Baham. You'd have to help me with this. That's right. Um, so I am Youth Commissioner Balam Vigil, appointed by Supervisor Safai. I'm not here to speak to you as a youth commissioner. I'm here to speak to you to someone who has much love and respect for my Muslims brothers and sisters. My best friend he is from Palestine. He taught me something that we're not taught in schools. That isn't tolerance, it's, to it's love. Something that's hard to teach in schools. It's hard to institutionalize love in someone. When the first Muslim ban came up, I went to SFO and I was right in front of a cop, 
in front of a cop and another while a cop next to me was hitting a lot of us. I'm willing to put my life on the line for these people, for, for my Muslim community. Be because there's so much that I understand of what they're going through, about being scapegoated after presidential administration after presidential administration. Uh, you know, I, I grew up with so much fear, especially during the Bush administration, that my family was going to get deported, and my mother, who I love, was going to get deported. I had nightmares that, uh, that where I had to go rescue her from a prison because she was being held by ICE. These were dreams that I had when I was eight. You would think that an eight-year-old would have a normal childhood, but, but, but when you're Latino or Muslim or a minority, that, that's out of the picture. We don't, we don't have private schools for us. You, you don't, we don't have rainbows. We don't, we don't have that. Seeing, seeing my Muslims' brothers and sisters having to go through this term after term, death after death, because this is something that goes back to what's going on in the Middle East. It pains me and it breaks my heart to see them suffer. As much as it pains me to see my own family suffer through every administration when, when they're arrested unfairly, held against charges that are unfair. I lived the Bush administration. I still remember 9-11, even though I was three or four. I remember how much discrimination there was against my, my Muslims brothers and sisters. I remember how they were being generalized as terrorists, yet we're still not holding accountable KKK members as domestic terrorists because they're white. It is unfair and unjust that we're doing this to them. They are human beings. They, are, they should have the same rights as any of us. They made the long trip leaving their homes to be in this glorious nation, simply to be turned back and being told that, hey, like we don't like you here because we generalize you with people that we gave guns to, who we trained, who we allowed to create. I mean, if anyone who studies the Cold War, you'd know that Al-Qaeda, for example, was being trained by the CIA. We had a lot of stuff that went on with Al-Qaeda for the Soviet Union. Now, I don't want to go off track because this is, some of the stuff is kind of, you know, controversial. But it is unfair that we're treating them this way, when, especially during a scenario that we created. And I urge you all as a human being that please look at them as other human beings that are worth so much love and so much compassion. Give them empathy. Thank you. Thank you. Yasmin. Good evening. My name is Yasmin Bigdeli. I'm here on behalf of the Iranian Law Students Association at UC Hastings, and I'm also on the board of the Iranian American Bar Association. The travel ban, which I will still call it that, is the conviction of innocent people already fighting against adverse circumstances we can't even fathom. In Iran, there isn't war, but there are gender, there's gender discrimination, there is human rights abuses. People have been trying to get here for 10 years in my family. Uh, my grandmother, she had her interview scheduled for her citizenship. It was canceled. Two of my cousins were admitted to universities here, engineering, physics. They were, their acceptances were denied. And they're already going against gender quotas. If I was there, there's no way I would be in law school going against those students. Here in the United and it's just a conviction without a cause. I mean, there was no referendum. There was no poll, not even consulting the legislature. So it's just conviction without a cause. Here in the United States, even, 
in 2016, there was an 80% increase in the number of hate crimes. We even experienced it here in SF. I know Iranian community members who found swastikas across their garage doors. I mean, also with our children, it's affecting our children. My eight-year-old cousin, when it first happened, I know that she and her friends discuss it in school. And it reminded me of my experience when 9-11 happened and I was in second grade and I remember the teacher, you know, treating me differently after that. So I think it's really important that not even on a local level, I mean, I came to the Bay Area because I wanted to learn from the progressive leadership in this city and this area. But we need to take our passions and our values to the federal level and get involved in politics. Um, even in conservative areas, there's, like in Orange County right now, there's a congressional race and there's an Iranian running for Congress. We need more people like that. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Yasmin. Commissioners, do we have any questions for Bushra, Shaquille, Bahram, or Yasmin? Seeing none, I'm going to move on to our next group of speakers. Uh, reminder to those members, those invite, any invited speakers who have not spoken, any members of the public, um, this is your last call to uh, submit a speaker's form that Melissa, who was just about to sit down, uh, has uh, at her desk. Uh, our next four speakers are, and again, work with me on the handwriting, Nada Al-Rubai, uh, Lorena Malgarejo, Renee Antin, and Babak Yusef Shade. You'll do better than I. Yusef Shade. Okay, apologies. Um, none of them are Irish names, so my pronunciation, you'll have to give me a bit of forgiveness. Uh, Nada, welcome. Good evening. Hi, my name is Nada. I am from Yemen. It's nice to meet you, all of you guys. Um, I'm happy to be here. So I'm going to start with a few words. To talk a few words gives the meaning. Okay, so I am happy to be here and to meet you, mer uh, the members of the commission. My kids, as you know, I didn't uh, want to spend time explaining. I feel so sad for the time that American is going through the having. Is this? I have been. I have been. Oh. I have been living in America since when I was 17 years old. And I know that American, America is the country of freedom. One person, like, Trump, like, uh, like the President Trump, will not change this fact. And I want just to say some word. All of us here 
if we talk, we are all of us here in this. I know we are some Muslim, Christiani, a different people, white, uh, dark skin, but we are here, all of us, a human being. If all of us, all of us here raise the hands for Muslim, you can see a few. If people raise the hand for a Christiani, a few people, they're going to raise the hand. But if you say to the people, raise the hand for a human being, I think all the, the whole, the whole, they're going to raise the hands. So feel, when you feel sad, I feel sad. If you feel happy, I feel happy. So if you help people even affect to in Yemen, I don't want to say what happened. All of you, you know what happened in Yemen. With this uh, band, is is affect more people in Yemen, trafficking to USA, the freedom of people. This is international country. In America, if you see here, and this whole, is it different people here, right? Different international here. You're not all of you American, right? It's international in this room. So what, why uh, President Trump, he want to do something different in America? Tell me why. Why? Thank you so much. Thank you, Nada. Lorena. Good evening. Um, my name is Lorena Milgarejo, and I'm the executive director of uh, Faith in Action Bay Area. Um, and I'm here um, as representing my organization. We're a faith-based organization. We work on building leadership within faith institutions so that we can create a moral voice in our communities across San Francisco and San Mateo County. But I'm really here also as a Latina immigrant. I came here when I was 16 years old, and the reason why my parents had to flee my country and come to be undocumented in this country and break the rules was because there was no other choice. The choice that we had was to stay home and die and get killed. So in this moment in time when we have a federal government that's similar to what was happening to my country, saying that some people are worth and some people are not worth, some people are worth staying, some people are worth persecuting. This is the moment when we, as people of faith, people of values, need to speak out and need to stand in the gap and um, show our resiliency as a community. I'm very proud of San Francisco for continuously um, setting an example for the rest of the country. And I'm grateful to each of you as commissioners for calling this hearing for taking your time tonight to listen to all of us um, give our solidarity and um, our commitment to being human beings, as the sister said. Um, but as a Latina immigrant, um, I am surprised not to see more, more Latinos here tonight. I know we're, we're busy, <laughs> but uh, it is very, very important, and I know that we're all committed to whatever happens, whatever the federal government decides, does not matter, because what matters is what we do as people. And I know that this city of San Francisco and the people of San Francisco and of this country are not going to let uh, the federal government act like they're saying they're going to act. So 
I just wanted to put that out there that we are committed, that we want to work in partnership with the city. And whatever you need from us, whatever you need from the, the faith community, from uh, the people of faith and values, we're here, we're ready to organize, we're ready to um, block the airports, block the streets, whatever you need, whatever uh, we need to do, we will do uh, in solidarity with our brothers and sisters who are Muslim. So thank you. Thank you, Lorena. Babak. And then I will also, uh, after Babak, Antigua Arefa. Hi, my name is Renee Antin. I work with Kahila Community Synagogue in Piedmont. I also work with interfaith uh, communities in the East Bay, Muslim, Jewish, and Christian. Um, I want to just say that my life is richer for the diversity we have here, and I know that, that you understand it. Um, I think it's very important that we speak up and stand with Latinos, Latinas, and Muslims, and anyone else targeted. Um, I just want to read one quote, and then I'll stop. Um, in 1938, a pastor, Janine Moeller, was, uh, spoke out. This is what he said. First, they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. And then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak. Just a reminder. Thank you, Renee. Uh, and now, Babak. Apologies. Good evening. Uh, thank you for hosting us. My name is Bob Akisaf Sada. I am uh, the national president of the Iranian American Bar Association. Um, thank you for your time today. Um, I'll, I got a quick note from my uh, colleague over there, Hani, who I know has spoken to you. So I'll actually shorten my comments so that I'm not repeating things you've already heard. But um, I'll, I'll try to I'll try to target some topics that we haven't discussed in as much depth today. Um, first, I'd like to give you a little bit of background about our own. Um, efforts with uh, and experience with the the, uh, the travel bans so far in effect, and um, sort of some of the some of the effects of the ban and some of the um, lack of, of what I'll call rationality or reason associated with the ban that makes you truly question the intents behind it. Um, and um, and I'll try to close uh, there. So. Um, the Iranian American Bar Association um, has been vitally interested in and wholly engaged in um, all three versions of the Trump administration's travel ban, um, which has also been probably quite um, fairly characterized as a Muslim ban, um, and its ongoing harm and impact resulting from them, especially, of course, with the Iranian American community, but it certainly has not been limited to that. As you know, these orders came down in three versions. The first one uh, delivered one week after Mr. Trump took uh, office, um, apparently with no lack of coordination with any of the other agencies whatsoever, but in a clear signal to the Muslim community that he was going to make good on his campaign promises. Uh, a version two, uh, which proposed some ex, ex post facto um, explanations for um, for his his uh, travel ban, um, and then uh, now a most recent version three, which offers yet different sets of explanations for the same travel ban. Um, 
since, to, uh, since January 27th, um, I've been working with our local chapter presidents, our uh, local chapter boards, and all of our coalition partners, some of whom are in this room today, um, to coordinate a national emergency response, um, including sending teams of lawyers to the airports around the country when the executive order was first announced and providing legal services to individuals in distress, working with coalition partners and educating the community on a daily basis about updates and considering and ultimately filing litigation in federal district court in order to stop the ban from going into effect. Um, the first two versions of this order um, implemented a discriminatory policy of exclusion based, and I can't, I can't emphasize this enough, based expressly on national origin and religion, um, which targeted the nationals of these listed countries with an animus that truly cannot otherwise be explained. The newest version promises to do more of the same on a broader scope and on an indefinite timeline. After the aftermath of the original order, all I can tell you was it was utter chaos. Uh, no notice, no coordinations, individuals' legal status literally changed while on a flight to the United States. Um, these orders separated families on, in ways and in a scope I have not even read about in modern history. Um, in a matter of months, we had received 450 reports. Often reports were from a dozen, from anywhere from a dozen to 110 individuals complaining at the same time. I'll give you a few examples just so you get an understanding of what the scope of those were. Uh, in the very beginning, when they weren't even sure if it applied to green card holders, um, we had complaints of individuals who were in fact green card holders, such as an Iranian-American woman who had traveled back to Iran with an infant child to show her parents, since it was so hard for her parents to come to the U.S. and see the infant child. Mid-flight, her status changed from a legal lawful resident, a permanent resident of this country to an unwelcome guest. And she was turned around at the airport with child in hand um, and told she was not permitted to return to her life, her work, her husband, um, or her home. Um, that was one end, but there were plenty of other examples. There were um, citizens uh, who were were not permitted to go back to the country and come to back to their own countries of origin and come back to this one. There were U.S. citizens who were separated from their fiancés, who were um, married to fiancés of nationals of individual of countries on the list. There were citizens, believe it or not, who who were not allowed to be reunited with their spouses um, because they were nationals of these countries. In one instance that we are aware of, at least. Um, a, a father missed the birth of his own child in the U.S. because he was not permitted to return to this country. Um, there were um, permanent, there was a prevention of permanent residents and citizens from uniting with their family members for all kinds of significant life um, uh, events such as weddings, funerals, birthdays, graduations. Um, and there were individuals who had legal lawful permission to be in this country, to go to school, to work, who had traveled abroad and who were prevented from returning to their classes, to their work, um, to their homes, to their lives. And that in turn caused consequences such as being dropped from their terms at, at, at school, which interestingly enough revokes your visa, um, and from, from being, uh, being fired uh, at work. I won't go on with the horror stories, um, so there were, there were a fair amount. Um, I just, I just want to, I guess what I'll do is I'll sort of speed this up so that you guys can get an understanding. Um, 
the impact has been greater than I can explain. The rationale behind this is not something that I can rationally explain to you. I could go through literally each of the legal arguments. These are the shifting reasons that they have provided, and each one has not only been rejected by the courts, but actually doesn't even fit their own internal logic that shows up on their orders. Um, so um, we have expended a great deal of energy and resources on sending lawyers to airports, responding to numerous requests, answering questions, coordinating town halls, issuing know your rights, developing and distributing documentation and information filing a lawsuit, we will be issuing a new, uh, we will be filing a new lawsuit to um, challenge this third version of the travel ban. We do stand ready to help you guys and all the people behind us and, the, and anybody else who needs help. We are in fact a legal organization and that's part of our function. So if there is anything we can do on that front, we're happy to do so. But there is one thing I just want to leave you with that is more significant than all of this. And that is a simple fact. This, these travel bans and these orders have provided a very chilling message to the U.S. population at large that anybody from these countries, who is a national of these countries, is inherently dangerous, is potentially a terrorist. That is a very chilling message. And it has told those same people that your rights in this country, that your status is based on the whim of the government, that you are not necessarily, or your families are certainly not necessarily welcome here, and that at any moment any of that can change. Um, um, the order, I think, um, does many things wrong, but it tends to confuse the governments of the world with people. It tends to um, use pretext to uh, cover what is what is quite clearly an animus uh, against religion and against national origin. And um, I think there's little doubt that in time we will look back on the travel ban as other ex actions of this administration with the same disbelief and distaste as other black marks on our history, including um, the Japanese internments, uh, which incidentally and ironically were cited as authority and precedent by White House representatives in enacting this travel ban to begin with. Um, I just, as many people here before me have said, um, we have to make sure that we, we unite Muslim, Iranian or otherwise, and make sure that we're proud of the actions we've taken and can look back in retrospect and say we did everything we could and we were on the right side of history. Thank you very much. Thank you. Antika? So, uh, my name is Atiga Arafa, and uh, I came from East Africa, specifically from Eritrea. Um, I came with three young kids in 1987, and I was a kid myself, but I, I've been uh, in the same situation where we are speaking now, discriminated, being Muslim, being Eritreans, in country being invaded by Ethiopian soldiers, they all families, the Ethiopians, the Eritreans, but it was a lot of discrimination against. And as a child, I witnessed pregnant women getting killed, her father-in-law getting slaughtered. As a child of eight years old, I, I witnessed that. And I lived through the torture of rape and kidnapped and denied being kidnapped. And now, when I came here, 1987 was the happiest day for me because here I lived um, as a person 
to be safe and I lived safe. It wasn't easy for me to work two, three jobs and raise three kids and my myself, I was in my early 20s. I enjoyed life and I call home here. I work for the last 28 years and I enjoy life in every job I went to. Uh, people from Chinese, from Korean, from Spanish, from all over the world. I work and then I feel we're all families. And that's what I really felt like. To be called that great America, it is great America because of that. All humanity, all kind of human from north and south, from all the continents of the world, live as a family, as friends that you can count on. Now I'm so concerned. What I went through as a child, other kids go as children, women, and all of us that we don't have a lot of money, we live from day to day, to be discriminated as a Muslim with a scarf. People in the store follow me, they watch out from me. They don't know me, but the people I work with, they know how peaceful I am. I am truthful, I'm direct, but at the same time, fair and do justice for others that I work with. And please support the Muslim community. Uh, we're not asking for criminals to be safe or to be uh, taken uh, advantage and let them know the good humanities. Human, humanity doesn't need religion. At the same time, the Muslim community has been discriminated everywhere, identified as uh, dangerous for others, and that's not true. Please support the uh, latecomers so they can get a chance. I lived a life, I'm alive today, and normal person and happy person daily because I, I came here and I lived in America. If I lived in Africa, I would not have been standing in front of you or in front of anyone. I would be in mental hospital as a sick person forever until God takes me. Please support the humanity of, Eritrean, of the Muslim community. Thank you. Thank you, Antti. Commissioners, are there any questions for our last five speakers? I do have a question for uh, Mr. Yusuf Zada. So the, the, the lawsuit that um, the IAPA and other organizations have filed, um, what is the status of that lawsuit currently and what's the next step legally um, in fighting the newest iteration of the Muslim ban? Sure. Uh, we filed a joint lawsuit with Pars Equality, Paya, and Nyack um, in the district court in D.C. Um, that lawsuit was amended um, after multiple delays by the government as to version two of the order. We um, we ended up uh, falling behind, of course, because of a couple of delays by the government behind the Hawaii and Washington orders. Um, the judge ended up issuing an order granting our, granting our arguments on the merits, but saying that basically there was no reason to issue a new order because there were already two national stays in place. And the judge basically told us she would act as our backup if those were overturned on appeal, which they in fact were not. Um, the current, uh, currently there's a stay in place in that, in that court, and uh, we are deciding whether or not to continue in that court to request to remove the stay and attack new version number three, or whether or not we wish to simply start anew with a new lawsuit. So that consideration is under underway, and we anticipate that um, we will know our direction for the new lawsuit no later than next week. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioner Kuchesti. I just wanted to briefly echo the sentiments of my fellow classmate from UC Hastings, Yasmin. 
we do need to have members of these communities run for office, especially at a time where Congress's approval rating is so low, the inability to get anything done, and the vast entrenchment with special interests. There is a need for young people, diverse people, immigrants to run for office. And one thing that I always like to say is, if you're naturalized, not only do you have the right to vote, but you have the right and the duty to run for office. So I think that's what we need to do going forward. So thank you for that, Yasmin. Thank you, Commissioner. I'm now gonna call our final three speakers, and this is the very last call for public comment, so if you have not submitted your card, please do so now. Uh, Anna Maciel, Amina Hakwe, and Flavio Bravo. Okay, um, so I'm going to tell you a story and from a, from a different perspective. Um, I had been riding the Greyhound bus about a year and a half ago and all of a sudden I see these two gentlemen who happen to be Middle Eastern. Um, and I start to notice and I start to watch and I'm observing and I'm getting nervous. And I start to get really freak out because I'm noticing that there are two uh, gentlemen from the Middle East. And it dawns on me that I've, this media that's been streaming in is, is just really, it's really influenced me in a really, really bad way. Uh, I became a pawn in the chessboard and I was uh, basically a checkmate. It was not a very good feeling. Hate is not good. It will never be good. It is very easy. They are people, right? Always, always do what is right. It's very easy. Become a decent human being. Hate should never be on the agenda. It should always be how can we do better for each other. That's it. Thank you. Thank you, Anna. Amina? Hi, my name is Amna Haq. Um, I am not affiliated with any organization, but I am affiliated with the San Francisco Bay Area. This is my home and has been for the last 26 years uh, when I moved here from Pakistan. Um, and I'm not sure how many of you are immigrants, but um, the fact that an um, only an immigrant can realize the greatness of the country that they choose. And I chose America, and I am devastated by what is happening here um, these days. Um, all of us here um, in uh, the, U the U.S. are immigrants, whether it's first generation like me or multiple generations or um, those that go back to the very beginning. Um, and I, uh, now with this administration, we are being pitted against each other, um, and that breaks my heart. Um, our president has spoken out against African-Americans. He has spoken out about, uh, against Hispanics, whether it is to build the wall or something else. He is now speaking against the Muslims uh, with the travel ban um, and also against women and gays. Um, and it is this time that we all have to stand together. I am humbled um, by the support that I always get when I go to these marches. Uh, I attended the 
travel ban at the San Francisco when it first happened. And majority of the people there were not Muslims. So I thank everybody who, go, who goes to such things and supports uh, people in minority. Um, I am now concerned about uh, my, uh, my children because I uh, thought I was a first-class citizen, but now I know that I'm not, and they will feel the brunt of it. Um, so I appreciate anything that you can do um, as uh, the committee or as everybody here um, to speak out against what you feel is wrong um, and to keep resisting, because if we take this, whatever is happening, for granted, it will only get worse. Thank you. Thank you, Amina. Flavio and then Atessa Chirazi, and if there is, this is final, final, final call for public comment following Atessa. Thank you, Hello. Flavio. Hello, thank you. My name is Flavio Bravo, and I'm a graduate student at the University of San Francisco. And uh, I'm speaking today on behalf of the Oakland Catholic Worker. Uh, we are a 501c nonprofit that established 30 years ago in response to the Civil War in El Salvador and the displacement of many uh, Latinos coming to the Bay Area seeking refuge. And uh, for me personally, it's my Latino heritage, but also my Catholic faith that calls me to speak out um, because the impact of the travel ban, as you know, and I hope you know, has, has led to... A, Amount of, a, a level of fear that has gone beyond those that are even Muslim. Um, a part of the Catholic Workers Ministry, we provide transitional housing to immigrants recently arriving from Latin America, and we do a weekly food distribution serving over 300 guests in, East, in the East Bay. And every single week, uh, we, we can see visibly uh, immigrants that are turning the corner if someone is coming to check um, to check license plates for perhaps a parking violation. We have people that visit our door looking for a meal, but also looking for um, so just somebody that will hear them out and listen to their story. And our organization primarily works on the corporal works of mercy, right, clothing the naked, uh, offering housing um, and, and, and shelter to the traveler. But truly... Uh, you, you don't need to look at the corporate works of mercy to know that a travel ban such as this is wrong. I think it, it simply requires common decency. Um, so I, I've long looked, um, growing up in Phoenix, Arizona, and during the uh, establishment of Senate Bill 1070, right, the, the essentially show me your papers bill, I, I've witnessed anti-immigrant legislation growing up. And growing up, I've often looked at San Francisco as a city and as a model for other cities to follow. And I genuinely hope that you can continue to do that through your leadership, but to, to hold the U.S. government accountable in any way possible. So thank you for your leadership. Thank you. Thank you, Flavia. And Atessa? Thank you for hosting this hearing and for hearing so many different perspectives. I appreciate all the people of faith who came out. It makes me almost believe that there's a God. Uh, I do mention that because I am an Iranian-American who I personally don't have an immigrant story because I happen to be born here, but I'm an immigration attorney, which means I surround myself with immigrant stories, so not only those of my family, but in my daily work and my sleep. So. Um, 
as an Iranian American, I happen to be considered a Muslim because that's the default religion that is assigned to my father and therefore it becomes mine. So I thought that would be a worthwhile little detail to mention in terms of assigning religion to people. But I digress. The main thing I wanted to cover was a question that I think Nazi sort of started to answer, which I think is helpful to focus on for a second, which is how bad is this thing, really, if you have to live with it? Um, you know, this waiver scheme, you know, it's, it's forgiveness, you have to beg for it. Okay, well, if you beg for, you know, if you really want to beg so long that it takes you a year to get in instead of six months, is that still a tolerable thing to live with? And my, my concern with the language um, of the travel ban, uh, if it has to be implemented, if I have to be the voice of explaining to people that this is what you now need to do, um, it is potentially an impossible task to get a waiver. Not only do you have to show undue hardship, whatever that is, which is a new term that just got invented, doesn't really have an exact analog in immigration law already. There's other types of extreme hardship, exceptional hardship. Now we have undue hardship, not deserved. I, I don't quite know where that's going to go. Um, but then you also have, um, you're not a harm to the public interest, national, national security. Of course, anyone who is issued a visa is going through a security check precisely to determine whether or not they're uh, a threat to the national security. So we'll just leave that one alone. The third one is what worries me, that your admission is in the national interest. I... I spend months with clients trying to file something that's called a national interest waiver. It is something that is a uh, weighty and difficult undertaking. So if that is going to be the connection, if that's going to be the analog that's used for someone to get a visitor visa or to get you know, an immigrant visa after they waited for a decade for their, time to, their uh, number to come up in line, if that's going to be the standard, it's going to be very easy to just deny 100% of them. Um, so th that's, I think, a big sort of uh, functional problem with how this is set up. It would have just been easier to say a complete ban, in my opinion. Um, given that I'm speaking to a local commission, uh, that, you know, immigration's federal, it's been wonderful that you've opened up your doors so people can talk about this just very quickly. What could be done as a practical matter? Um, there were attorneys at the airports uh, for Travel Ban 1.0. We were doing whatever we could, whatever. But what really mattered was elected officials being able to get around the wall that had been created and to contact the government agency people. This was mainly done from federal congressional level staffers, but that's something that I could see that on the local level, those lines of communication, it's very important to have them open to the local airports. Now, of course, with this third version, there aren't going to be people who even make it to the airports, but I believe that at least on the 18th there is going to be some activity, some confusion, um, you know, some issues that come up. I've already heard of one case of someone being denied boarding, so it could just be the airline. You don't even have to get so far as a government agency. Uh, the main concern is that there's no way for um, the communication to happen in the black box of the consular interviews, which is where all of this is, all the visa applications are going to die, essentially. So I just thought I would share that perspective from a day-in, day-out immigration attorney. Thank you. Thank you, Atessa. Commissioners, are there any questions or comments for the last four speakers? I have a question. Commissioner Wang. I, um, and I'll leave this up to any of the attorneys who've spoken. Um, 
Is there anything that you feel that the San Francisco airport, which is something that we can advise on, uh, is there something that you feel that the San Francisco airport can be doing or can be doing better to assist in this matter? So as someone who was at the airport for the first 36 hours straight, I think actually the SF commander at the time was really incredible and did meet with folks. And so I think just keeping that line of communication open if there is an issue at the airport. But SFO has also already given um, legal service providers a permit to use like a desk space that's in the area. So I think actually of all of the airports, SFO has been pretty solid in terms of whatever access they within their jurisdiction to provide. Um, so I think maintaining that. I think there's a new SFO commander now. I don't know that any of us have met them, but I believe that there's been a shift. Um, another big issue at SFO, which is actually outside of the jurisdiction of the SFO commander and falls into CBP, is that we don't have any, um, there's no right to counsel in secondary inspection, and that's often a really big barrier, but I think that falls more within CBP. Um, my understanding is that the city works more with SFO and the SFO commander, so making sure that there's still that continued line of communication with individual service providers on the ground, making sure that groups like One Justice still have the permits that SFO has been providing would be great. But again, more than other airports across the country, um, they've been in pretty close communication. And they were also at the mayor's roundtable, I think, a few months ago uh, with the Muslim community representatives. Anyone else? Just quickly to address that as well, SFO is one of the better ports and I do actually recommend that clients fly through to SFO because there are lines of communication. Uh, there were issues with travel ban 1.0 happening on a weekend and there being no emergency phone number and what have you. So uh, improvements have been made. So it's definitely um, something that is better than some of the ports, but there still was delay, lack of communication, not knowing that they knew that the uh, court injunctions had had been signed. And so th that's something where if there is an issue as to figuring, no right to counsel, as Elika said. So if it's just a family member wanting to figure out, uh, someone who didn't prepare in advance, didn't tell an attorney, so we don't know what happened to this person, are they being held, et cetera, that's something where um, if an attorney involved, we can help, but if they also reach out to their local elected representatives, they can also make the inquiry. So that is something where, uh, you know, conceivably, I don't see why it would have to be limited to federal representatives and a member of the Board of Supervisors, for example, could also be very helpful in sort of cutting around uh, the wall, the, the sort of the non-communication default system that exists. So thank you. That's a great question. I've got one that takes that question too. <laughs> Another level. So version one, we had to go at the airports to, 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 to see what was going on with folks that were caught mid-flight. Version three, we're looking at visas and whether they're going to be granted or not, whether these waivers are going to go through or not. Does anybody have any insight on where in San Francisco? Do we have a consulate here? Do we have actual personnel in San Francisco that are deciding these visas and have the discretion to grant these waivers? If so... 
have there been any thought given to how to put pressure on staff at the consulate who are making these decisions to actually grant these waivers? That seems like the legal mechanism to get this through. Um, Atessa, Alika, anybody else in the audience have any insight on this that could be helpful? So unfortunately, the, the locations that people have to apply for visas are the consulates outside the U.S. So there is no way to have a communication that's local. People have to subject themselves to the risk of departing and applying for visas, even if they're here. So, and, and just one detail, for example, of in the scenario of someone who is here, I find it a little counterintuitive that you could be Iranian, you're F1, you're not a security threat because F1s are exempted from the travel ban, but you get a job now based on your wonderful advanced degree that you just got at a, you know, a wonderful institution, and you actually can't travel in that new visa category because now you are a threat in this other visa category. So as I think someone uh, testified, it does mean that some people are essentially going to get imprisoned in the U.S., uh, and if it stays simply the way it is, okay, well, during that period, things can be done. But if this spreads to USCIS, the agency that adjudicates petitions for people who are in the U.S. and perhaps can't leave, then we really have a strange situation of not ever being able to get people um, anywhere other than, I guess, for example, for Iranians, F, J, and M. So did that answer the question? Yep. Thank you. Any other questions? Uh, I just wanted to thank uh, all the all the speakers for your testimony. Um, all the public servants like Shaquille Ali who uh, who are on the front lines uh, with with our communities, um, the the lawyers and counselors, uh, especially the ones that were there on the 28th and the 29th. Um, I, I I was there to witness a lot of that work. Um, some of the organizations I know, Laura left from uh, AROC, but AROC, CAIR, um, the Asian Law Caucus. Um, also wanted to say, uh, say a special thanks to Commissioner Kaljista uh, um, for organizing this hearing um, and to reaffirm our support uh, to continue to be a voice for, uh, a voice against the ban, um, but also against the breaking up of families in general, um, which is, you know, one of the, the more disheartening things that, that I've been hearing consistently tonight. So thank you all. Thank you, Commissioner. Uh, I have one question um, for some of the leadership in the audience. Um, thoughts as to how we may best prepare for October 18th. Um, and I would invite two or three of you to come forward with any suggestions as to how the Commission can prepare and how we as a broader community, collective community, can prepare. Um, I think one thing that would be really helpful is um, as more litigation comes forward, and we've already heard from other folks in, in the audience that it will, right? Mm -hmm. um, and I think in your opening, you, you mentioned litigation that would be filed by other organizations. Meanwhile, everybody's wondering what's going to happen to their case, right? Mm -hmm. How does that impact their family or not? Um, I remember when the Supreme Court 
decision came down, the community was like, what's a bona fide relationship, right? So to the extent that we have good translated Know Your Rights materials that can get pushed out quickly um, through different city agencies, our organizations have a certain base Certain individuals reach out to IABA, et cetera, but there's a much broader community, especially in you know San Francisco Tenderloin area, having a large Yemeni community. So making sure that there's accessible Know Your Rights in um, English, Arabic, and Farsi, specifically as the three languages, would be really key. I think also the commission having a sense of who's providing legal services would be great. Um, there's a lot of community-based organizations that work with the city um, or just have resources. Um, Hopefully it will not go into effect, but if it does, I mean, there would have to be legal clinics to support at least the family members here, so supporting in that way as well. And then certainly, I think, continuing to um, uplift the stories of what's happening quickly. So within the first 24 hours of the first ban, right, we... All of us in our different roles and functions and spaces that we had access to were saying, there's a bottleneck here. This is what's happening um, you know, at the airports. This is what's happening um, outside of the airports. And so I think having a system to triage where there are certain bottlenecks or issues that are tied to potential litigation that's coming down would be helpful. And I think we already have some of that infrastructure in place from round one and two. Okay. Um, can I ask that if there are lists of service providers, um, listservs that we that would be helpful to the commission that you would like the commission to have that somebody would provide them to the commission? Yes, definitely. There's actually an SFO rapid response listserv um, right. that we can you know kind of maybe pull out the names of the organizations on there and provide them to you as well. Okay. Um, we could give you just the different templates for the intake forms and the online forms that the various organizations have as well. So happy to work with the commission on kind of aggregating the different resources available. I do think though that to the extent that if there's any resources for translation of certain core materials, um, that that would be something to front load or at least line up the translators early um, mm -hmm. so that as it comes down, it's it's really accessible to our communities. Okay, thank you. And just to uh, quickly add one point to what Alika just mentioned, um, as we prepare for the 18th, um, we also have to keep in mind that Inshallah, the, 18, the um, implementation will be blocked on the 18th. But if it doesn't, uh, regardless of whether it does or not, Trump is still going to try to implement a Muslim ban via other methods. So I think it's important for us to all um, recognize those efforts for what they are, call them out for what they are, and then try to think of ways collaboratively to um, address those and try to fight back against those. So just to give one really quick example, when uh, Trump first came out with this idea, this new idea of extreme visa vetting, uh, a lot of advocacy groups got together and figured out what companies were bidding on the contracts to basically provide the, infra the technical infrastructure for the extreme visa vetting, a.k.a. the backdoor Muslim ban. And they started efforts to try to force those companies via threats of boycotts to um, basically to try and shame the companies into not assisting the government in doing that. And that's just one of many examples of things that can be done in addition to the, uh, the Know Your Rights prep that Alika mentioned. Thank you. And Alika, if you can just um, work with the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs, and then they'll be able to share it with all of us. It'd be great. Thank you. The other thing I just wanted to mention from the litigation perspective, um, obviously, once litigation is on, cities will have an opportunity to weigh in by way of amicus briefs, if that's something that you guys want to consider to bring the perspective of how cities or counties are being affected 
by the litigation. That's, that's a perspective that probably will not be brought by any of the organizations up here or by the states that will be suing. So uh, the filing of, of amicus briefs or alternatively in, in building a coalition of cities um, to file an amicus brief would probably also be helpful to add some weight and perspective. Great, thank you. Come forward. I just wanted to add um, for the Know Your Rights pamphlets, if you're organizing that information, um, each of the countries are affected differently. Uh, people from those different countries are affected in different ways. So laying out exactly how member people from those countries are affected in all the different ways and making sure that nothing is blanketed um, would be great and really helpful. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Um, Director, do you have any questions or comments on sharing of information. Uh, thank you, Chair. Just a comment to the service providers. Um, there is an existing network of cities that we work with called Cities for Action. There are a number of them, but this one is um, 200 uh, cities across the country. There are 20 offices like ours. So if you have some specific information that you would like us to share, please get that to me right away. And secondly, um, if there is a request for um, emergency language assistance, please uh, contact me and then we'll see what we could do about getting you an emergency grant right away. Thank you, Director. We have a 29 speakers, uh, I counted, uh, laying out what is a particularly, another particularly difficult time in, or will be seen as such in US history. Um, and another, I think, is the key word in this because many communities have been here before, have seen this, have suffered and struggled through it and have thankfully come out the other side. And that is what we can hope for here today is with our collaboration, with our unity, with our strength in numbers, with our commitment to each other, we can stand together as one immigrant community. We are the sum of our parts and we are strength in numbers and I think that's to, for me the biggest thing that we can take from today. I would like to thank you all for your testimony and for your comments, um, many of which were extremely moving and extremely um, hard to hear and hard to think about how families are being separated. Um, it's a conversation we have had about the separa separation of families and it's, it's for many years and it's always, it's more upsetting to see it get bigger and broader and end up in a place where we feel like we have less impact. But at the end of the day, we elect people, we hold them accountable, we have to hold them accountable. Uh, Congress needs to be told that Congress needs to act. It is Congress in action that leaves us flailing in so many issues, particularly th those that face our immigrant communities. And we will stand together against the current administration and against its policies, which are the antithesis of what this country is about. Um, your voices count and we encourage you to keep using that power. Please be assured that the commission is in full support and will use every ounce of its influence to make sure that city, state, and the nation live up to our core values. You know, you matter, you are our people, and you are America's people, and I thank you for your testimony this evening. 
and look forward to working with you as we move forward. And that concludes our hearing for this evening. Uh, thank you all. A uh, couple of thank yous. Uh, I would particularly like to thank uh, Commissioner Rahimi, Kujaste and Radwan for all of the work that you have put into encouraging our community to come and speak with us tonight. Um, we don't generally have 29 speakers, but we would like to see a large portion of same in the future. 29 is a lot. Um, but we thank you for being here and we thank you for all of the work that you have done. Uh, thank you all to my fellow commissioners for being here and a particular thank you to Director Pan and the staff of the Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs for uh, coordinating this evening's hearing. Uh, we have some additional commission business to attend to. You're more than welcome to stay or you're very welcome to go home. Uh, it is getting late. Uh, but item five on our agenda is old business. Commissioners, is there any old business? Director Pan. Uh, commissioners, just real quickly, we held a DACA uh, renewal workshop last Saturday. I wanted to um, uh, give a shout out to the commissioners who supported us and came out to volunteer. Um, Commissioner Paz, Rodwin, Kodeste, um, Wong, and Roy. Uh, we were able to uh, serve 117 or 115 um, DACA holders with 70 um, able to uh, reapply for renewal on the spot and we cut checks. Checks were cut so they walked out with a completed application package uh, ready to mail along with their check made out to DHS. And then just a quick follow-up on the retreat we'll be sending out shortly. Um, just a planning guide for your committees. And then please get back to our uh, commission clerk with uh, dates that you would like to have a meeting because remember we have to notice all of these meetings. Thank you. Thank you, Director. Uh, one question on, on the DACA funding that the city has provided for the fees. So it, it, our deadline is, is imminently upon us, but if there, is any, if there are any DACA holders who need to refile and need a, a fee assistance, do they contact through the office? Well, we have the, uh, two service providers. However, um, applications must be received and accepted by uh, the Department of Homeland Security by October 5th. Right. Um, and today is already a, uh, the second going on to the third. So, um, you know, they could try going to Mission Asset Funds or Legal Services for Children. Those are our two uh, community partners, but um, it's a pretty tight timeline. Yeah. And um, they would be taking a real chance if that's going to get there in time because it's not just sending it by mail. It has to be received and accepted and stamped. Understood. Yeah, just in yeah. case anybody uh, needed to know. Right. Um, commissioners, any new business? Director Pan? Uh, no, no new business. Thank you. Um, I think that concludes our business for this evening. Uh, our meeting is adjourned. Thank you all.